Good morning, benders and non-benders alike, and welcome to the Republic City Dispatch, a radio program covering Nickelodeon's Legend of Korra series. This week, book one, Air, reaches its penultimate week with Turning the Tides. Republic City is under attack. Hema in labor and the Fire Lord's descendant revealed. Now, without any further ado, those master fought benders, Matt, Dave, and Devendra. Hello, welcome back to Republic City Dispatch, uh, Amon's Endgame on the horizon, but first, of course, Turning the Tides, a, uh, a great build-up to the hour finale that we can expect next week. But um, once again, I'm Matt Patches, and we're back with Devendra Hardwar. Hello, hello. And Dave Gonzalez, that's with a seven- that is. For reference purposes. Um, so let's just jump right into this. This had a, There was a lot going on in this episode. But first, Dave, give us the summary. All right. So uh, Pema is having some pregnancy pains, and Asami confronts Mako in the kitchens about his feeling for Korra. Uh, great Pema reaction shot there. Uh, Tenzen is called into an emergency council meeting and leaves Lin to take care of the airbending family. Aman has decided it's time for the Equalist to take back Republic City and launches an army of airships after capturing all the council members that aren't Tenzin. Tenzin. Uh, Team Avatar Generation 2 saves Tenzin from the mech tanks just in time to see the airships attacking Air Temple Island. Lin holds off the lieutenant but needs help from Jainora, Iki, and Milo to finish off the Equalists. Pema gives birth to Rohan. Tenzin convinces Korra it's time to hide until United Forces arrive with reinforcements. Team Avatar Generation 2 flees on Naga, who gets an awesome slapping moment. And Avatar Generation 1 team flies via Sky Bison, and they're about to get captured when Lin sacrifices herself and gets her bending taken away, right before we get a look at General Iroh leading a massive United Forces fleet. Ooh, so much, so much. Uh, I had some mixed feelings on this episode, but that's why I want to start with Devendra, because once I saw Lin in action, I knew this was going to be Devendra's episode, all about Yeah, <laughs> I, I feel like this entire series was really just built up to show us how cool metal bending is, <laughs> and like just how, how awesome uh, Lin Beifong is. So, yeah, I loved her just a massive takedown. Um, Matt, you had mentioned like Samurai 7 before. Mm. And uh, that this her takedown of those airships totally evokes like sort of the beginning of that series where like one of the samurais is just slicing airships in half. I love how like that shows the scale of her power and her desperation and everything. And she knew that either, you know, she was going to die or her power was going to be taken away. So I just love that about her. And she takes a she takes a moment to meditate before she does that, too, which I like. She closed her eyes and she kind of like brings her hands together and she takes a deep breath and then she unleashes all heck. Yeah. It's like I'm a yeah I'm about to do this and it's going to be crazy, but uh, yeah loved all of that. I, I love so many little things about this episode. There was probably for me the biggest problem was that sometimes there was too much going on because like you had mm. the baby coming and that's such like a narrative like. I don't know. It happens way too often in right. shows and movies. We need to raise but, the stakes. Someone yeah, give exactly. birth right now. Exactly. I do. I did love uh, the little ones. Not now, baby. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. There, there was a lot of great stuff. I did, you called this a filler episode. Oh uh, that, wait, now yeah. that was off the air. I Come was, on. I was. You, did. you called it a filler episode, <laughs> and I'm, I'm saying this is all set up. Like the whole point. Yeah, th- this is definitely just set up for the finale. Sure, I, I loved it. I, I don't think this is a filler episode. I'm gonna get, <laughs> I'm gonna get such a beatdown from people if I call it that. But I do think that it's a tough episode to pull off. It always will be that episode before a finale for any show ever. You know. I thought about um, Lost a bit during this episode because there's mm-hmm. a show that's like it has so much momentum they're always revealing things and whenever Lost took a moment and stepped back and didn't deliver as much plot or or just tried to like uh, there's an episode where they golf 
you know, in the middle of the island. That's the whole episode. And um, when they took a step back, it, it kind of stops. It, it slows its momentum, and you feel that change. And I felt that a little bit here in this episode. Maybe it's just because we've had so much every episode. And, you know, there's a lot going on, but it still doesn't feel – it still feels like build up to that finale. And, and for me, it I've- felt – a little bit like filler. I think you <laughs> you uh, you are crazy, Mad Patches. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, this is we got essentially the death that we had called. It, I don't think it's you know it's it's Tommy and and Bolin necessarily, but the way that Lynn gets her bending moment taken away with sword, and the fact that it was in the episode with new life in Rohan means that it's essentially that's what the episode is. It's mm-hmm. like the fall of Lynn. You yeah. take the strongest bending character who for the past two episodes says well i guess last episode and then the episode before that since she sat an episode out uh being like the only person that's willing to do anything like tenzin's always been uh practicing caution and doesn't fight unless he has to and Korra is a mess in terms of being the avatar for a public city so we had so much riding on lynn and lynn finally realized that protecting the last airbenders was more important than her own uh livelihood and now she's oh gone and i feel so bad about it and i mean it's it's weird for me that it would feel like a filler episode to you when we a lose lynn and b when like republic city just starts getting bombed at the beginning all right usually i I made the complaint last week that they had you know they were having episodes that were one act of setup and you know (laughs) two acts of action true this one didn't even have a full act of setup it was like Cora at the dinner table being, or at the breakfast table being like, and here's what happened with Tarlock. And then it's just off. It's off and yeah. running, and the rest is consequences. So much so that we basically narratively stay with Tenzin all episode and just see him reacting and slowly see him lose control uh, over Republic City. And I mean, when I knew the title of this episode, I thought that. You know, foolishly, I thought that we were going to turn the tides and that, you know, <laughs> Team Avatar was going to come out and, you know, be be popular. But I was completely wrong. And mm-hmm. it's now an equalist held Republic City. You're right. I shouldn't have watched this episode after lunch on a full stomach. <laughs> I was probably I a little what, sleepy. How does that affect your viewing? Well, you know, you're more you're in like a coma and you're just kind of casually watching it. No, uh, you're right, Dave. I think. Um, any perceiving of of this episode as, as filler is a fault of mine. Just I'm antsy for the finale. I think well, I'm antsy this for this tease of ending. I know, and you know, like yeah. you know what I feel uh, after um, watching months of promos for the Dark Knight Rises. Uh-huh. I, I got this really weird feeling about like seeing the airships and thing, seeing oh, yeah. things exploding. You can imagine the Bane that Bane song exactly as this is all going down. Yeah. Absolutely, I thought just like seeing the explosions and these grand shots of Republic. City Dispatch being taken uh-huh. over by Amon's forces. I just I get that sense of dread, and I'm like, ah, somebody please come to the for rescue. Sure. And for they have sure. nothing. They can't do anything. You know, there's a great moment where Korra concedes to Tenzin, and uh, it's clear that she's learning, but mm-hmm. that um, you know we can't do anything right now. Mm-hmm. We we just can't, and they have to all step back. Now, I I also was a little distraught when Tenzin decided like no i need to take my family out of here um and i'm like no man tenzin jump in this is you you're a hero um and so much good tenzin fighting 
so much they, good tension. They literally playing. are the last Airbenders. Yeah, and that real that uh, Lynn's line really shook me up about mm-hmm. uh, you and your family are the last Airbenders, and we have to get you yeah. out of the city. And I and I kind of shouted when I was watching it. That's the name of the other show. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that that definitely kind of shook me up. But man, patches, you need to not watch episodes after lunch. It turns you into like I bet you loved the fart bending. <laughs> I know. Well, yeah, that was that was very silly. But I, I thought back. I'm like, I can't believe. Ang never fart bended, really, but maybe well, he was a classier a, guy. I think that's the advanced airbending that we were all waiting to figure out what it was. Maybe. He lives, well, you know, uh, Milo lives in an advanced modern age where fart comedy is probably more prevalent than it was when Ang <laughs> grew up in, uh, you know, a hundred years before the events of Last Airbender. Fart yeah. comedy had not been that prevalent. Uh, yeah. Just a bit of history for the show. Yeah, well, I mean, I, the thing I like about it is that, of course, if I was Milo, I would be curious about how to fart bend. And so, like, <laughs> it, it makes character sense. Sure. I just, you know, I mean, I guess I guess if you're going to keep bringing back fart bending, at least he got to fight with fart bending this yeah, time. Yeah, for sure. Like, they, they keep bringing him back. He, uh, he made a reference to really wanting to poo earlier in the episode. It all comes back, guys. Yeah, strong yeah. character. This is writing. what little kids are thinking. It's very so, yeah. real. Does exactly. anybody else just keep thinking, like, he has Tommy Pickles' head and <laughs> he does, like, he does. Just, oh. just sort of fan mashing oh, it up man. in your head? That, that That's is a awesome. A lot of people watching the show will not even get. So. I, oh. No way. Everyone knows Rugrats. That's a Rugrats reference, by the way. Um, <laughs> well, can we talk about the significance of, you know, Devendra, you called that pregnancy and kind of giving birth in this episode a little bit of a device to really kind of amp it up but it does it does do that um but i I really thought about uh bringing rohan into the world at this exact moment like i thought that was very Mm -hmm. poignant and important to the entire situation of what they're going um and the funny thing about it was when i was watching i was watching with my girlfriend and after he's like i'm going to name it rohan after tenzin announces it to the room she's like is that a reference (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm like, no, not everything in this show has to be a reference. You know, a this is name. just a great name. Although I was reading someone in the comments on uh, RepublicCityDispatch.com, they were like, oh, it's a reference to Lord of the Rings. No, I'm like, it's I a don't name that existed so. before Lord of the Rings, you nerds. <laughs> it's a Sanskrit name that means like ascension, healing, like things are getting better. Exactly. That's, that's yes. what it means. Um, yes. I also had this great idea and these are the sort of things that this show allows my imagination to do and should never ever be touched upon in the actual narrative but i envisioned that oh how do they have ultrasounds in the world of airbender i'm like did they know it was a boy in advance i don't think they did but uh, now i think that lynn should be like she, she could have used her her uh sensory power she could have like flicked pema's belly and sonic waves could have told her if it was a boy that's the that was my imaginary uh scenario for ultrasounds in the world of airbender i want (laughs) to use that point which is a silly point to talk about a serious point which is the sort of uh, generational echoes that we keep seeing here i really enjoyed that pema uh has this reaction shot where she realizes what that she's created a essentially her and Lin situation with Asami and Mako and Korra. Hmm. And um, <laughs> I think that uh, depending on uh, when we want to talk about Iroh, I think we there's a possibility that all the various generations colliding in this uh, moment in Republic City history might be might be coming up because it's where we're starting to see history repeat itself. Uh, 
granted in sort of weird, not direct ways, but, you know, once again, the Earth is in, in peril, and there seems to be a lot of things that are similar to the last time the Earth was in peril. It's like, what's up with uh, there only being like four or five powerful families in this world? I'm fine with it. It's a very Game of Thrones sort of uh, <laughs> sort of uh, sect, but it, it seems like uh, there are like these patterns amongst the ruling class of Republic City, like very uh, traditional literature, historical repeating patterns mm-hmm. in a classic sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I hope we'll get to see more. I feel like there's a much bigger world here that we haven't gotten to see because we're we're in Republic City the whole time. So I know with Iroh, with uh, the things opening up a bit, I'm hoping the second book will show us more of this you know, new world and seeing what's going on. I want to see what's going on in the Earth Kingdom, because that was really interesting. Yeah, and I've begun to read The Promise, too, which really um, opens up the world to the possibilities of, of the different cultures and different cities that are outside of Republic City and that probably still exist even after its creation. And I could definitely see Korra kind of traveling to those places to try and maybe amass people to kind of bring mm-hmm. benders and non-benders alike to return to Republic City Dispatch. and tr- or, <laughs> Yeah, Republic City Dispatch. Uh, the <laughs> Republic City and, you know, bring order to everything. That's, that's the real crux of the promise, too. And um, it'll be interesting to see. I'm also curious how far... Uh, a gap will will have between book one and book two. Like, is it going to be immediately mm-hmm. after the events of the conclusion that we see next week, or is it going to be like a year later or ten years later? Is Rohan going to be all grown up? Um, <laughs> you know, I, I'll be interested to see what they do with time and how that passes with um, Amon taking over. But yeah, it will be interesting. Well, I mean, in order for that to happen, I think they need to compress a lot of our questions into one answer, which is you know, what's our relationship to the spirit world this season? Because mm. I feel like that would not only answer, not necessarily who Amon is, but what Amon's doing, and it would also answer the bloodbending, and it would also an- answer why Korra can't go into the Avatar state. So I think it's definitely possible that we're still in a, you know, shortened miniseries timeline, sure. and we might get something more of a conclusion than we've been theorizing but in do you the past. think that the um the generational storyline here this kind of interweaving of past and present is part of that in a character standpoint it doesn't seem as important when you describe it that way but i definitely think it's present and it's it's playing a big part i feel like introducing iroh into the world and him coming to republic city as opposed to you know, meeting him out in the world, like we're we're kind of stewing it all together. But it doesn't know. I don't know if it's that important. Uh, well, I mean, the interesting thing is, pre Korra, we kept hearing from the creators that you know we'd have something to do with how this new world interfaces with the spirit world. And here we're heading into the hour long finale, and we haven't talked about that at all. So I would almost say that that we're spending this first book establishing the people and Korra's struggle and then next book we're going to have to figure out what scarred the spirit world and Mm. I think that is going to be what has to be generational because I I think if Korra would have done something in the past to piss off the spirit world we would have seen that I think we've very deliberately seen only parts of Korra's training so I I think it has something to do with uh, I think Aang and Zuko changed it by trying to make this, you know, mm-hmm. technologically advanced city. And maybe uh, the titular skeleton in the closet has something <laughs> to do with uh, that event. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I thought it was, 
I thought it was the Yacone thing back before we figured out what the Yacone thing was, and it still might be that. I mean, there's definitely something interesting that um, Aang takes away people's bending from the front, and Amon takes away people's bending from the back, so they're literally <laughs> like polar opposites Yin of each Yang. other. Yin-Yang. Yeah. Or Amon Aang. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, stuff like that, um, it seems like we're building to... Like, that will be our plot cliffhanger, if I had to guess. And, you know, we'll actually get some sort of conclusion, I hope, in next week. But I think, like, the generational stuff is going to come back because I think we have to spend more time with the spirit world than another hour will allow. Mm-hmm. And uh, what, what did we think about the introduction of General Iroh? I have some mixed feelings on it. Uh, but uh, <laughs> what, did you, what did you guys think? Uh, I, for me, the voice and it's uh, it's That's, Dante yeah. Bosco, right? Yep. Yeah. So the the voice just felt like it was somebody much younger that was supposed to, that I was supposed to be looking at. It. Yeah, I don't know how old he's supposed to be though. Yeah, this guy looks like he should be in his twenties or something. He sounds like a teenager. It was it was just a little weird to hear that voice coming out of someone different. It may it may just be that too. It's yeah, like, oh, that that's what he's doing in this series. Yeah, uh, it was just so funny because that after I told my girlfriend, you know, not everything has to be a reference when Baby <laughs> Rohan came out. <laughs> then General Iroh comes in with uh, Dante's voice, and it's like reference bomb, boom, <laughs> reference bomb. <laughs> I was just like, this seems a little unnecessary, but I hope that um, Iroh's connection to Zuko is is strong enough and important enough that there would be a reason to kind of recast him as the the younger version. Yeah, yeah. Um, because yeah. it felt uh, it it didn't feel exactly right to me uh, in that one moment we've seen it. We haven't really seen him in action, but uh, I'm sure my opinion will change. But it's it left me a little unsettled. It feels weird to me because we apparently spent so much time trying to figure out if Zuko was alive only to learn that he is and then we see a character with his voice and it's not him and I'm like oh okay so we're not gonna see old Zuko I guess yeah I thought about you when that when that popped up I'm like Dave's been waiting so long for Zuko to come back and uh, I just I just assumed he would be doing this because it seems it would seem weird to have two Dante Bosco voiced characters that could potentially meet each other uh, in season book two, but you know what? Whatever. Sure, it could work. I think that uh, the or I guess stray observations. Uh, the United Fleet, uh, United Forces Fleet, is totally half Fire Nation, half uh, Airbender, or half Earth Nation in design. Right. And right. then um, it has all the ships have uh, dual bows, like uh, Water Tribe uh, ships. So I was super happy to see. Did that. you really notice that? Yes. Wow. <laughs> the coming of cult together of culture. Well, because it seems like, I mean, General Iroh's wearing Fire Nation colors. You yep. know, they keep saying United Forces. So I was like, who is the United Forces? And why haven't we heard about them before if we're in this, you know, United City? Um, yeah, where do so they hang out? Where are they kept? I, guess, I mean, I guess they're just sailing around enforcing justice. I mean, I would watch a spinoff series about that, by the way. But <laughs> um, I was also happy to see that, you know, following... Uh, Devendra's uh, tabletop role playing. Everything must make design sense. Uh, that the fire, the United Forces fleet definitely is mixed nation, yeah, which yeah. I enjoyed. Uh, um, should we get should we get into the the fan theory about Iro? Yes, throw yeah. that out there because it was so crazy that I just I need to hear it again. All right, so the Iro fan theory from multiple people that I've gotten is that Iro is the son of Zuko's daughter, who we know exists thanks to the Welcome to Republic City game on Nick.com, and Boomy, 
who uh, we've seen on the Aang uh, family tree, and people mm-hmm. thought he was a mon, a mon for a while. But uh, in the family tree, you see that he's wearing a Fire Nation collar, very similar to the one that Iroh is wearing in this episode. It's kind of the only thing we know about Boomy, is that he kind of looks kind of weird, and he has the Fire Nation collar. Yeah. And he's a squib, so or, or that's a Harry <laughs> Potter term, but he does not. he's a non-bender, hmm. um, born mm-hmm. to a bending family. So... Mm-hmm. There's there's a possibility that uh, we will hear Dante Bosco's voice say uncle again, but this time it will be talking to Tenzin. That seems pretty reasonable. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I, I much prefer theories uh, surrounding Boomy being, you know, Iroh's dad than I do Boomy, sure. like Boomy being Amon, which seems just too kind of interwoven crazy for uh, for my tastes. <laughs> Yeah, also, so, he, he's also a character that we haven't seen in the show, and only people who've paid attention to like the early Comic Con coverage last year would even know who this character is. Boomy is one of Aang's sons, so yeah, yeah. And then there's also the weirdness that if that is true, then once again the Avatar Zuko lines have crossed, which mm-hmm. they did. They did with Roku way back when, uh, some two hundred years ago. So they're very. They're getting all Lannister-y over there for our Game of Thrones. <laughs> so many Game of Thrones fans. references. I, I, you know, that show's off the air, so now I need to like bring it back. That's true. <laughs> the one, uh, There was another theory, that, another fan comment that you wanted to bring up that I was actually referencing when I was talking about crazy fan theories. Oh, okay, um, yeah. But I, re- I really crazy. just want you to say yeah. this again. But We got this one on our talk back uh, who, from someone named Rohan. Uh, Quote, it's so obvious that Amon is Rohan, Tenzin's new kid. Rohan is a time bender, and he has gone back in time to take the guise of Amon in order to prevent temp- something terrible from happening in the future. That is so, so good. Yeah. <laughs> that is so good. It's so obvious. <laughs> time bending. Um, okay. That would explain how he managed to have a five-minute labor. That yes, exactly. He just time bended around that for for Pema's sake. It's it's yeah. a butterfly effect all over again. He just willed himself into the past. Hey, you know what? It 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 could be. You know, if he has, if Amon has a strong relationship with the spirit world, perhaps the spirit world sent him back or sent him. I don't know. Oh I'm no, let's not let's not bring time travel into the Avatar series. That would really uh, screw with my hair. Because isn't like the first thing you would do is be like, well, what if Aang didn't get frozen in ice for a hundred years? Wouldn't yeah. that be the first thing you time bend? <laughs> kind of avoid a whole a whole mess of trouble, you know? Yeah, or even go back and you know don't have the splitting of Kyoshi Island, and maybe that would change the entire. It, look, there's a lot of places you could time bend this universe to make a difference. I'm not sure if you have to come back and take away everyone's yeah, bending. Time bending. <laughs> oh God. Um, and they kind of wrap things up. You know, I kept thinking about what I was going to say about Asami in this episode, Ooh, but I, yeah. I'm not sure I have anything. Dave? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wanted to bring up two characters, actually. One is Asami. I want to give props to the writers for having her take her cattiness out on Mako directly instead mm-hmm. of on Korra uh, to try to get to Mako. That's a stupid girl fight trope that I didn't need to see, and they avoided it, and so props to them. Uh, the second one would be... Um, the weird uh, Tarlock's assistant, the guy who keeps the temple, the mm-hmm. council Right, who chamber. keeps popping in to tell us things. Yeah, we got a, a question, I got, or I got a question like about a month back about if there were going to be any gender-neutral characters like Smellerby, and I propose it's that guy. I don't, I don't, know, I don't even know if it's a guy. See, I actually <laughs> thought it was a woman until you just said that. Well, see, that's, I guess... 
there you go, Avatar. Good job, you know, promoting uh, gender neutrality. It's it doesn't matter. He's just there to you know tell tell Tenzin when things have gone horribly wrong. <laughs> exposition, exposition, <laughs> exposition. I'm a. I'm, my name's Pat. Oh yeah, it, it's it's Pat. It's Pat. Um, uh, old school SNL reference for those who don't know. Um, yeah. But I mean, yeah, props on Asami, if that's not what you're going to say. I was super into that. And I guess other weird character moments, uh, the Order of the White Lotus um, mm-hmm. got some, some good action. Some, yeah, uh, fighting. Sacrificing themselves. Um, Naga got to uh, slap the lieutenant. That was midair. awesome. That was great. And uh, well, I think it was uh, a Bolin's line. It's like, Goggles guy or something. Goggles guy, uh, mustache yeah. guy. Mustache, mustache guy. guy. Mustache guy. Mustache guy. Mustache guy. Because he disappeared in that fight. I was like, are, did they just forget about him? Is he not coming back at all? So <laughs> He yeah. keeps like falling off of buildings or getting slammed <laughs> into stuff and uh, getting... Someone else in our talkback thread said that he's the equivalent of the cabbage guy because he just shows up and just is instantly taken out every episode. Um, but the weird then, part is he's voiced by someone very famous. Yes. Yeah, Lance Henriksen. Yeah. Yeah. So why? <laughs> who doesn't really get a lot of voiceover time with the lieutenant because he's always being like just hiding and then coming to fight and then getting hit in the face. Yeah, well, he got to do you know his nice little we we're here for a rat spider and infection or whatever it was. <laughs> that was that was him. That was nice. Um, I also really am a big fan of Bolin's car. Oh no, wait, we're fine because I have said those exact things backing out of a parking spot, and it's a great example of a. ADR line that didn't need to be there, but what made the episode so much better. <laughs> I do like that they had uh, they got parking tickets for some reason. Yeah, this this episode had a lot of like, oh, this exists in the Avatar universe for me, oh, yeah. like parking tickets, and I also had flashlights. Really raised some question marks for me. <laughs> I, I, I know this is a dumb thing to get hung up on, but when they handed out flashlights when the power went out in the police station, I was just like, they have flashlights? How does that work? What? They need they, they need electricity benders to generate, you know, Maybe electricity for the city. they something to store it. Yeah, little batteries. So they must have batteries. So I, I obviously went to Wikipedia. I'm like, when were flashlights invented? So I just want to give everyone a quick lesson. <laughs> the first dry cell battery was invented in 1896. The first flashlight in 1899. And by 1922, there were an estimated 10 million flashlight users in the United States. 1922. Well, I mean, if you have a world where you could purify metal to platinum level, they've probably discovered lithium at this point. So I imagine they have some way of keeping the <laughs> lightning bending trapped for a certain period of time. Also, major props for the mech tank fight. Um, I think it was like now a with magnets. Game. Or did yeah, they have no, magnets in the first fight? I don't think they did. No, they no, didn't. no. I think they learned. It was like, oh, these cops are wearing metal. Let's <laughs> do something about that. But yeah, I, for a fight that was a foregone conclusion, like we knew we were going to see that happen, I was very happy that it seems like Mako and Bolin and Korra and Asami also realized that was going to happen again because they're much more effective this time than they were previously. Oh yeah, I, <laughs> I especially uh, yeah. I especially liked when Korra took some water and put it in the pipes yes. of the uh, mm-hmm. thing, and it kind of steamed up and broke. Cool. I, I want to be I want to be somebody who works on Legend of Korra that where I just like sit in a room and then like an animation director <laughs> comes in and it's like come up with 15 ways to take out mech tanks. <laughs> I'm like right on, sir. You could be that intern. Action choreographer. Yeah, yeah, because you know, I kept thinking that like the easiest thing would be is you just sink them directly into a hole using earthbending and they haven't used that yet. They've come up with much yeah. more creative ways to fight them, so I'm all for it. And then I, even the the Mako redirecting lightning thing even though they sort of built it up like a 
oh well, look at what he's doing moment, even though we we knew he could, it it's still it worked of, for it, me. It was almost sort of Sith Lord of him, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just saying. It was very um, Sith Lord. Yeah, indeed. But actually, bringing up the gaming aspect of it again, I do love, like, the they keep coming up with these great creative uses of the bending. And uh, if you, I don't know if you guys have ever played, like, White Wolf uh, tabletop RPG games. Um, they have this one called Exalted that is basically like an anime role-playing game, and you get extra points for, like, doing cool, well-described uh, stunts and things like that. And this game, this show definitely seems it was written or at least created by people who had that sort of uh, mentality, you know, just sure. make it as cool as possible <laughs> and it'll be good. Yeah, well, I, I thought the same thing during the mech fight and also Lin's attack on the airships. I'm like, mm-hmm. I want to play this, too. Like, I just want to <laughs> play a video game version of it, maybe this is Lin's spinoff that I'm hoping for. The, adve- the further adventures of Lin, like the prequel to Korra, where sh- I just get to play as her mm-hmm. and like Batman's st- Arkham City style game where I'm just Lin Bei yeah. Fong s- slapping people with my metal <laughs> whatevers. I want to bring up one more moment just because I'm not exactly sure why we had it and maybe you guys have some answers. Uh, we get to see Hiroshi Sato uh, Love talk that. about how sad he is that uh, his his daughter is fighting fighting for the other side mm-hmm. to Amon, which is the first time we've seen them together, which is good because I didn't know if they were It was very casual Amon, I thought, in this episode. For the first <laughs> time, it's like every time Amon steps out, it's like, whoa, Amon's here. Well, but on the other hand, someone also brought up in our talk back, this is the first time Amon has even tried to get information about the Avatar. Like, this is the first time something goes wrong in his plan that we can tell. Mm-hmm. Like, in in his grand plan of things, he was supposed to have the Avatar after the you know snow cottage but that didn't work so now we're seeing a little bit of panic where he actually offers lynn mercy whether or not he was lying point being amon doesn't offer mercy yeah that's new um but i love that uh, moment because i really do think it foreshadows asami coming back to him and yes. and throughout this episode they kind of plant seeds that that might be a possibility and um, I do think we'll see her turn back and join her father after just not really having a place in Team Avatar 2 anymore, mm-hmm. uh, which is going to be compelling and sad. Um, and I hope there may be a moment of redemption for her in book two. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I see I, her I fight Iroh. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. That would be fun. <laughs> I don't like. I don't know. If, like we've sort of been talking about her eventual turn or something. I'm not sure anymore if that would make total sense. Um, just because you've seen the extent that Amon's forces have been taking this episode in particular, like things got crazy, and I don't think like just she could easily have a turn of heart to go on to that side. But there could be something more about her father. Like it, maybe she would end up saving him if somebody was trying to kill him or something like that. Yeah, There's something more there. Yeah, or she sure. she she hesitates when she's supposed to take out her father and that yeah, has some yeah. sort of consequence to yeah. put us in a final place. I could see that happening too. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's, it's weird because I want to give Asami credit as her character develops, but mm-hmm. I could only give her so much credit considering she wasn't developed for so long. And it's like mm-hmm. for the longest time she was that, but know, there wasn't an opportunity to do that. But I mean, what, what she was presented as was half of that disgusting couple that's like always making out on the stairs and you have to like walk around them and you like kind of hate them for that. And I, I can't think that we weren't supposed to feel that because otherwise there wouldn't have been the Eskimo kiss. Hmm. Well, no, um, you definitely are supposed to feel that. But it sounds like you wanted the um, driving around the track moment earlier in the series. Like, here's a girl who is in love with Mako, but she can also kick butt. 
or something. Yeah, yeah, and I think that she still is that. It's just, uh, uh, I don't know. I, I'm not sure how much... It, it seems like we're suddenly getting a big push to be on Asami's side, and I would have liked that to have carried all the way through. But I think the, it only liked. now does she have a real conflict. She was always... You know, she lived with amazing riches, and she found the love of her life in Mako, mm -hmm. and everything was perfect in Asami's life before she realized that her dad was working with Amon, something that her pol internal politics, you know, personal politics don't jive with. But there's and still character inconsistencies. Like, she's a brilliant driver, but she crashed into Mako oh. on her moped. Oh, that's true. And well, she, like, no, that's not know, her fault. He, you know, jumped out, and it's his fault. They're setting her up as a character that's eventually going to have trust issues, and she tells Mako she feels safe with him within like the first forty-eight hours of dating. It just—it seems like well, that's because she had never had a reason to have trust issues. She I'm, needed to be established as one thing and then have a turn so that her right, whole world right. can be jumbled. And I think that I think that was well done. I guess <laughs> I disagree, but that's that's fine. There's support in the text for both of our. But opinions. you like her now. Yes, I like her now. As a matter of fact, I'm rooting for her almost against the writers right now, which is interesting. <laughs> uh, an interesting position for me to take, especially after I thought she was super evil just right from the beginning. But yeah, I'm hoping she develops outside of what, we've, what we were given as her base. And I think she is. Um, I just, I'm not sure if it's happening fast enough for me. Fair enough, fair enough. To wrap up, you know, we talked about a lot of stuff in this episode, and I, I secede, or concede that Maybe this episode had more than I first imagined it did. Um, not a filler, not a filler. But <laughs> to leading up into the finale, just to give ourselves like told you moments next week, uh, what, do, what do you think we're going to see in this finale? What do you hope to see in this finale? Because hmm. um, like they keep answer. calling it Endgame, which seems really yeah. weird to me. Like I would have assumed that the Amon's Endgame was kind of a book two finale sort of deal or is this the end game for his plan is republic city going to be completely lost to amon's forces by the end of next week i mean i i would like story wise um there to be an echo of our uh first sort of equalist rally that was you know underground and just a few people and amon came out and told a very relatable story about being victimized by benders i would like now that he's like in control of republic city and like wiping bending off the face of the planet for him to have a monologue where he tells us what's really going on right and i think that that is the bare minimum that i expect i don't necessarily expect one-to-one -one answers i don't necessarily expect him to be mm -hmm. unmasked but i do expect him to very clearly lay out his plan and then i theorize that we're going to see Korra get her bending taken away. Um, mm. I'm not sure how that affects her. Um, I, they've been making a large stink about saying how permanent it is uh, to everybody, so maybe you know she gets her bending taken away and then she could Avatar state it back or something. Yeah, I don't think anything's permanent when you have a spirit world yeah, in play. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. I, I, yeah, one of the things I'm looking forward to is seeing what Amon is doing with those powers, because the more I think about it, the more my idea of like him just collecting everything and becoming the super powerful bending being. And if you take away the bending from all the other powerful characters, that kind of leaves you as the only guy in town, you know, with yeah. crazy powers. Well, I mean, does that yeah. is that does that work thematically that he's walking around saying he's going to make everybody equal, but he's actually making himself like this king bender? That seems like, King first Bender. of all, for tyrants and dictators, like that is very typical. Like you say, you're going to be 
equalizing everything and then oh by the way you're kind of consulting power on your end um i I feel like i wouldn't be surprised if um if he ends up just kind of ruling things and maybe not revealing that he has the powers but the fact that he just has them and he can you know squash any opponents easily um that's that sort of thing could make him just really powerful i think i'm sorry you think we're gonna get like a zuko's mom moment where we're about to unmask (laughs) him on and then he just like air bends out of the out of the room uh, I, maybe <laughs> like end of book one. <laughs> it's like what? No, it's gonna be like Rohan. How you? But time um, ending. <laughs> the end of book one. Um, yeah, book, oh, time book, bending. Book two. Water two. <laughs> uh, you know, the one thing that I wonder if we'll see is Amon kind of take a backseat to a larger emperor esque kind of. Uh, bigger villain and if Amon's really going to be the focus of book two at all you know if he's just kind of this proxy for some bigger force that we're going to have to deal with in book two because it would seem to me that that, uh, Amon's story is really crescendoing in book one and I wonder how it's going to continue and how he's still going to feel like this bigger larger than life threat kind of Uh into book two and I wonder if they're you know to make Star Wars illusions if there is a a larger force at play if he's serving a bigger master which we've kind of talked about before and if maybe that person will or thing being will show its face in the finale I would be very Mm -hmm. interested yeah, I'm just excited for like the crazy epic battles oh, yeah. that we're going to see. I mean, in this episode alone, we saw some pretty big fights, and I love how the camera was far enough away for you to get for you to get a sense that these people are kind of doing cool things against giant mechs. Um, you know, that sort of scale we we didn't see really much in the show. It's usually been more intimate for the action. Well, we we didn't see too much of other benders striking back, which I thought mm-hmm. was an interesting mm-hmm. choice. We've stuck with the core group mostly because Airbender Island was under attack and that's just people we know. But, like, this city's full of benders and ones who are in mobs and are ready to be violent. You know, I'm surprised that we haven't seen more of, mm-hmm. of a reaction from the bending society, um, but maybe we will in this finale where the scope really opens up and yeah. um, it's, I mean, it's we the could grand get, end. To continue our Dark Knight Rises <laughs> illusions, we could get a... Uh, you know, I'm everyone's avatar, fall behind me, and here we go. There's only enough of us if you all, you know, stop taking an inactive part in your own future Republic City. Uh-huh. But I could uh-huh. I could see that happening. But who, you think Korra would call upon the people in that way? Well, I think... Because it sounds like I, she's I, taking I show up a passive move. I slap Korra and be like, listen, we need a leader. It can't be me. You're the avatar. <laughs> Do like, put, something. Put on some cool clothes and at least pretend like you know what you're doing. Yeah. I'll take care of, you know, the, the United Army. Yeah. I'm more wondering, like, who is on all those ships? Like, is that just a whole bunch of soldiers? Or is that, like, a bunch of elite benders, too? Well, like, like that, yeah, talked yeah. about the United Forces being separate from whatever yeah. uh, backup Tenzin's going to go get. I don't know where he's going to get this backup, but apparently. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, Kyoshi Warriors. <laughs> <laughs> I figured it was, Both like, full of Kyoshi Warriors. Yeah. 18 yeah. ships full of winged lemurs that they were just going to unleash, led by old Momo. Uh, no, I don't know. <laughs> But, um, Old Momo. Old yeah, Momo. maybe Amon is Momo's kid. I, dun, dun, dun. Theories. <laughs> Speaking of the Dark Knight Rises stuff, that is a mashup waiting to happen. So if anybody wants to make that, like I'm thinking like 
um, a Legend of Korra mashup with the Bane theme from the oh, Dark Knight Rises trailer. That would be. So we have great. all the yeah. footage now. We have all let's, the exploding city this. footage. Let's make this happen before the finale. Someone, <laughs> someone draw Amon breaking Lin Bay Fong's back over his knee, please. <laughs> thank, thank you, fandom. I still, I just need a gif of uh, General Iroh and reference bomb flashing. Um, Indeed. <laughs> anyway, you know what, uh, back to Lin Bay Fong. Let me just say, I love how her character has changed so much from the first episode of this series. Like she's, she's so she's loving. To, yeah. She's come to terms with her relationship with Tenzin. She's kind of figured a way to like, you know, she, this may not be her family and, uh, Pema may have stolen her man, but she will protect them because she still loves Tenzin in a way. And they're still friends. Aww. So I love that. I love the sacrifice she gave to him. This series really is, a uh, it, it is really Lynn series too, as well as, uh, Cora's. Well, yeah, she really she's a great um, mirror to her as far we were talking about the generational stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I, Lynn and Cora share that aggressive behavior and learning about how important friends and family are and taking your time and sacrificing. I just think thematically they are, you know, yeah. Lynn is down the road from Cora, but they're <laughs> they're very connected in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think that about wraps things up. Dave, we do have an episode, as everyone knows, next week, but why don't you uh, give it to us again? Well, next week, uh, the 23rd of June at 11 a.m. begins the hour-long finale, uh, two-pop of uh, Skeletons in the Closet and Endgame. But it is two separate episodes, right? We're not seeing one big hour-long. Yes, it's like uh, the beginning of the first two episodes, Leaf in the Wind, cool. Welcome to Republic City. It's just they're two being aired at the same time. Um, on the week of the summer solstice. I called it the spring solstice. There is no spring solstice. I'm sorry, <laughs> fandom. There's only the summer solstice. But it's next week. Go back to middle that, school, Dave. That's the closest we get to the spirit world. So let's get some spirit world in here, guys. Cool. Well, that about wraps things up. Uh, why don't we sign off here? Davindra? Yes, you can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash Davindra. I podcast about movies and TV at slashfilm.com, and I also write about technology at venturebeat.com. Everything else I do is at davindra.org. Dave7. Hey, I'm Dave7. You can find me at twitter.com slash da7e, writing mostly about Marvel movies at latino-review.com, and doing a weekly podcast about movies and pop culture. Um, I think... This upcoming Friday, I'm going to do Brave with Matt Patches and our two uh, co-hosts on Opkino.com. Brave, the lesser Cora. Uh, And I am Matt Patches. I'm the movies editor of Hollywood.com. I'm on Twitter at Mr. M-I-S-T-E-R Patches. I do a podcast with Dave, Operation Kino. Find it on iTunes. And uh, you can find basically all my work on MattPatches.com, which is on Tumblr. So I know some of you are on that. Check it out. Um, That about wraps things up. We'll be back next week for the finale. Bye. Bye.